0: amen. Well, it's so good to be back up here ministering to you on Sunday morning. It was three Sunday mornings since I've been up here. It felt kind of weird, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> And um, but they, they have all done a great job, Brother Jerry, Brother Pastor Allen, and uh, Brother Scott Crosby. And I, I had several things I wanted to speak on over those weeks. I was kind of trying to get my message, but there was nothing that ever Stuck with me that like, yeah, this was for sure what God wanted me to to speak on Um, until last Sunday morning when I was sitting down and Brother Scott uh, Crosby was speaking and he uh, talked about finishing well and it was about the life of Saul and how Saul had started off good but the anointing was removed to him and transferred to David, that he started good, but pride came in his life, different things uh, Prescott told us about that went through, that Saul, King Saul had started good, but he didn't finish good. But then he mentioned uh, toward the end, and he didn't go into Paul's life, who was also called Saul, Saul of Tarsus in the New Testament, that Saul started off bad. He was persecuting the church, and those of you who were here on Wednesday nights when we had done the study of the book of Acts, we really went into detail with these things and how he was having official letters written that he could uh, arrest people who were believing in Jesus Christ and have them thrown into jail and all these things, and Paul started out totally against God, but guess what? He turned it around. And he became the chosen vessel God used to reach the Gentile nation, to reach all the non-Israelites with the gospel. And so I started thinking about how totally opposite that was. One began well and finished poorly. One started poorly but finished well. And I was thinking about how opposite their lives were. And I started thinking about two people that Jesus spoke to that were totally opposite could not have been any more different. But when he spoke to them, he was telling them that they both need a Savior. He brought them both to a moment in their life where they had to choose and see that they needed a Savior. And that's what's represented this morning by the, the, the uh, bread and the, uh, and the grape juice that we use as Jesus' body that was beaten and hung on a cross for us to bring salvation to us. And that's the moment that he brings us to. So as we, we look in these, and the, these two people are Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman by the well. These are found, uh, these events, I don't want to say stories because people are going to think, well, it's a parable, it's not true. No, these events took place in John chapter three <coughs> and John chapter four. And it's ironic that in between their two stories is the golden text of the Bible. John three sixteen: for God so loved the world. And in between these two, and this is what, what ends up happening is we, we see that Nicodemus and the Samaritan wo- uh, woman were totally different in each other. One was, you could say, from different sides of the tracks. Nicodemus, a, a Jewish, per- Jewish leader in all these things, was very well known. He was v- top of, the, top of uh, society. And the Samaritan woman, as we're going to see, was the lowest of society. They were despised by the Jewish people. So I kind of went through trying to figure out the best way to do both of these events that went through. And I kind of split up. We'll look at uh, Lazarus for a little while. Then we'll look at the Samaritan woman and and these things as we work our way through this. So let's just begin uh, again In in Romans chapter 3, verses 23 through 24, as we get ready, set the foundation for this message. It says this, for who has sinned, who is all? All of mankind. Point to yourself. All have sinned. Now notice this, and fall short of what? I need you to think about that statement now. All have sinned and fall short of what? The glory of God. What is God comparing you to? Him. His glory, who He is, the Holy One, the Father. He says we all fall short of Him. He doesn't say you fall short of someone else or you are above someone else. He says, don't compare your, in other words, he's saying, don't compare yourself to someone else. He's saying, you all fall short of my glory and what I am. And I'm not talking about me, I'm talking about him. That, that, that's why the Bible tells us, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to. You see, because in Isaiah, it says, the most righteous of man is as a filthy rag in the eyes of the Lord. And the rag he's talking about is a menstrual cloth of a woman on her menstrual cycle. He's saying that's the best man could be. That's the most, as filthy as that is, that's about as best you could be on your very best day without him. So he says, that's why you fall short of him. And what happens is a lot of times people want to look at other people. And say, well, I'm not, I'm not quite as bad as this one. I'm not quite as bad as that one. But God's never telling you to look at others. Because what happens is, I start feeling pretty good about myself. And God's looking down, you're nothing but a filthy rag. Compared to my glory. Compared to who he is. For all, fall sh- all have sinned and fall short of him. He doesn't tell us it's about other people. It's about you and him. But he says, we are all justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came through Christ Jesus. Now, when you, when you think of Nicodemus and you think of the Samaritan woman, again, we're, we're going to look at the high class versus the low class. If we look in people's eyes. But what is, it, what is the definition of success? What would be, just think about what would be your definition of success? See, God's definition of success is totally different from man's definition of success. Notice what it says here in Luke 9.25. This is Jesus speaking. He says, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? See, God doesn't measure success by the neighborhood you live in the house you live in, the money you have in your bank account? You hear me? That's not what he looks at as success. Success is, he's saying, what good is it if you have everything in the world? But you forfeit your very soul. Success to God in this world is being a believer and sharing that with other people and making other believers. That's what success is. We t- we take it and, you know, oh, this and where you live, this and that, what kind of cars we drive. Oh, they're so successful. No, they're not. God says it's not worth anything. The only thing that is of value to him is a relationship with him. That you don't forfeit your very soul. So here we go. We, we have... Nicodemus and we have the Samaritan woman. And you'll notice on your paper I have some little parentheses. I think that's what you call them. I wasn't good in English. That's parentheses there that would have opened space. We don't have a fill in the blank on the screen. I just want you to kind of put down uh, some little nodes there so you see it is very obvious when I'll point it out to you that... um, how different Nicodemus and this woman were. Like I say, it's it's from the top to the bottom, but Jesus comes in between and says, you know what, Nicodemus, you need a Savior. You know what, Samaritan woman, you also need a Savior. Okay? So let's look. (coughs) Excuse me. John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Now there was a man of the Pharisees, circle Pharisees, named Nicodemus. Now, that little parenthesis on the side, I want you to just write down a note that reminds you. Notice that he's actually called out by name here. In the Bible, it uses his name. But this poor Samaritan woman, it never even gives a name. But this is what I want you to see, how the, the separation of people and different things there. Jesus says, you both still need a Savior. He says he says this, now there was a man of the Pharisees and what I want you to understand, let me, let me quickly say this. The Pharisees get a bad rap a lot of times. I want you to understand, those of you that were here for the study of the book of Acts, we've seen in the book of Acts where it said that many Pharisees and priests came to believe in Jesus. You know, when a lot of times we think about Pharisees completely evil. Do you know they were actually doing what God wanted them to do in the beginning? The Old Testament, they were the teachers of the law. The, the nation of Israel, God was God over and, and showing them God's law and all these things. They were to follow God's law, but God's law doesn't save and take away your sin. It just exposes sin. God was showing everyone how much a human being sin and need a Savior. And so the Pharisees were actually doing what God wanted them to Teach the law to the people and try and have them follow but they even went further, that they took the Ten Commandments, and I forgot the name of the book that, it, that they wrote, the Pharisees, that, that the, uh, the commandment that even says, uh, uh, honor the Sabbath, they actually wrote a book about honoring the Sabbath. They wanted to make sure they were following God's law so much, and I think it's over 20 something chapters they have on just that one thing. How do we honor the Sabbath? That we can't work on the Sabbath because God said to rest on the Sabbath. Now, so they, they wrote in their book, and the reason I, 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 I like this part is because we're going to find the woman at the well. And uh, one of the things in their book was that on the Sabbath, to honor the Sabbath, you could not work. So you could not tie a knot in a rope. If you went to a well, you needed a drink of water. If you tied the knot in the rope, they said, we may be working that may be considered work and God might not want us to do this. They took it to the extreme and they said to themselves, I can live a day without water. So tying a knot in a rope would be against God's law because I'm working and I really don't need to. But then on the other side, you could tie a knot in your garment to hide your body so you're not exposed. You see, you could tie a knot to do that to put on your clothing like a bathrobe so you're not walking in public with the open matrobe. But you can't tie a knot in the rope to draw water because you could go a day without water without dying. They Listen, you think mom and dad were strict? These guys were strict. And they, and they tried to follow the laws, but guess what? They can't. We, we all can't. But this is what I'm saying is the Pharisees People just want to throw them off and know oh, they were evil. No, they weren't. They were trying to follow God's law, but they just realized they came. And when Jesus came, that many of them believed him. And this is one of them, Nicodemus, that uh, came to follow Jesus. But we, we always want to lump them together thinking that they were just evil. No, they weren't. They were trying to follow God's law. And, and again, I always try to put myself in their position when they were doing what God's law came, and then this guy shows up, are you gonna believe him? You know, I don't know. You know, if someone strange would come in and hey, I'm Jesus here, right? We'd have our doubts. You got, you know, they knew a Messiah was coming, but they didn't know when. So we see this now. A man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. He calls him out by name. He says, a member of the Jewish ruling council. Now, So he was a ruler. He was part of a ruling council. He was up there on the ladder of success. It says, he came to Jesus at night. So I want you to realize he, he came at night. So that next parentheses you can write, he, he comes at night because uh, the Samaritan woman ends up showing up during the day. So here's our introduction. We see he's, he's, a, he's a ruler. Of the Pharisees and he's called out by name and he comes to Jesus at night. Now there's two things that people believe about him showing up at night and could be true. Some believe that he went at night so no one else knew. You know some of the other ones that would be against it. But there's also a, a belief that he went at night so he could spend more time with Jesus. That it wasn't in the busy bustle of the day that he went, that he could actually sit and have a good conversation, which he did. So let's begin. Let's look at the introduction of the Samaritan woman. Here we have the the, uh, ruler, the Pharisee. It says this in John chapter 4, and this is verses 4 through 9. I know your paper says 4 through 7. It says this. Now he had to go through Samaria. Now I want you to understand this. This is Jesus... It says he had to go through Samaria. I'm going to explain for a minute here. The Samaritans were people despised by the Jews. Okay, Jesus was Jewish. Okay, people would not, Jewish people would not go through Samaria. They would actually walk around take other paths because that's how much unclean and dislike there was between the Samaritans and the Jewish people. See, what had happened one time, Israel was taken captive, and and all the rich people went. They had a few poor Israelites that stayed, and these became Samaritans, which they ended up to survive. They married uh, outside the Israelite uh, community-type things, and they were Things happened there, so the Israelites thought of them as, "Oh, you're impure, you're unclean." The Jewish people thought that. So, but why does it say he had to go through Samaria? Let me show you in the verse right in the need there in Luke nineteen ten. It says, "For the Son of Man came." This is Jesus. For the Son of Man came to what seek means to look for. And to save what is lost. That's why he went through Samaria because just as he was in chapter three talking to Nic- Nicodemus, the Jewish leader uh, things of the Pharisees, he said also these people need me. He said so many everybody else has gone around and you're going to see later on that even his disciples when he comes back and catches her, that he was talking to her and that uh, woman they were surprised. Why would you do this? But notice what it goes on to say. Now, he had to make his way through Samaria. It was God giving him that direction to go there. He said, so he came to a a town in uh, Samaria called uh, Shekar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Joseph's well was there, and Jesus tried, tired as he was from the journey. Okay? I want you to understand why is the importance of rest. Even here it says Jesus was tired. That Jesus needed to rest. It says this. Um, Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired from his journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. Now, there's debate that if it was noon or six in the evening, but it's still daylight. The Samaritan woman's coming to draw water. That's about the time they'd come in the evening. So we see that Nicodemus approached Jesus at night. She finds him in the day. And I want you to understand on both of these, it wasn't both, it wasn't both coincidence. They just so happened to bump into them. Jesus was there to intervene in their lives. You hear me? There's God moments, God appointed moments in life. He says this now. Um, when the notice what it says, when the Samaritan woman, that's how it refers to her. Notice for Nicodemus, they say a, a, a ruler of the Jewish ruling council, a Pharisee, Nicodemus, but then her is just nameless. A Samaritan woman, pointed out by her nationality, a Samaritan who was despised by the Jews, a nobody. And it says this, when the Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Now, his disciples had gone into town to buy food, but notice this. Jesus says, will you give me a drink? And notice what the Samaritan woman says to him. You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Just in case you didn't know this, Jesus, you are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. She's saying, you may not realize I'm a Samaritan woman. You, you, I'm filthy to, you, to the Jewish people. I'm despised by the Jewish people. So there's our our meetings. Nicodemus uh, got all the highlights, and her is despised. She she even realizes, I'm not supposed to be talking to you. But let's let's go back to Nicodemus. (coughs) John 3, verse 2. Nicodemus, he came to Jesus at night and said, notice this, Rabbi, we, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. No, notice what he says. It's not I know you are a teacher. You hear me? He says we, other members of the council, realize. So you see, you can't just throw them all in one basket and, and think they were all were no good. It says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God? He says, for no one could perform the miracles and signs you are doing if God were not with him. So here's Nicodemus. He says, there's more than just me. I'm the only one that came to speak to you because I want to know more. He says, but there, that we believe you came from God. He says, we see the miracles. He's even acknowledging the power that Jesus Christ had to do miracles. In reply, Jesus says, now, this is where we go. He says, I tell you the truth. Circle that. I tell you the truth. And this is what I want you to always realize. Jesus always told them, I'm telling you the truth. You know why he's saying, I'm telling you the truth? Because he realized they probably would not believe him or would not understand him. And he's trying to lay the foundation saying, I'm telling you the truth, whether you believe it or not, it's truth. Just as God told Adam and Eve the truth, if you eat of this tree, you will die. They convinced themselves otherwise that it wouldn't happen. But guess what? It was the truth. And Jesus is telling them right now, plain and simple, I'm telling you the truth, whether you believe it or not, this is the way it is. No one, and he's speaking to Nicodemus, remember, the, on the Jewish council, high up there, uh, in high regard, it says, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is What? born again. And this is Nicodemus' reply, trying to get with his intellect. He was a very smart man, and he's can't understand the statement. He says, how can a man be born again when he is old, Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born. Right, So he wasn't even grasping where Jesus was coming from about being born again. So Jesus begins to explain to him. Jesus answered, there's those words again, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born, and notice what he says, of water, circle water, and of the Spirit. He starts to distinguish the two types of birth. In verse 6 he says, flesh gives birth to Flesh, circle that. That is talking about the water. How many of you know, well, If those of you that had babies, what happens? The water breaks, and here comes the baby, right? That's what he's talking about, the water and spirit, that there's a natural birth. Flesh gives birth to flesh. Water gives, water, he says, and then this, he says, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. And then he tells them, you should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. Now, this next statement, I just want to explain to you, it could get a little confusing, but the same word in the Greek that is wind, is pneuma, wind and spirit is the same Greek word. And this is what it's using here. Speaking of wind and spirit says this, Jesus says, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is, with, so it is with everyone born of the Spirit. In other words, he's telling you, man, when just as the wind, regular wind blows all over, the, and you can't choose where it blows, he's beginning to reveal that you know, he's getting ready to go to Samaria, that when the wind's also going to blow there. It's not man that controls where God's Spirit blows. It's not man that controls or decides who's born again and who doesn't get to be born again. It is the Spirit of God. <clears throat> so let's jump back to the woman at the well. And I hope you could piece these things together. Maybe when you go home you can read the whole things together. It says this. Jesus answered her. Okay, did she, she just had made the th- the comment of, How can you ask me for a drink? Jesus answered her and he begins to share with her salvation, if you knew the what gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. See now Jesus is with her, he's using the example of regular water, they're at a well to drink, Using regular natural water versus living water. Again, being born again, natural birth, spiritual birth. This is basically what he's telling her. And she says this, Sir, the woman said, again, notice, no name. You have nothing to draw with and this well is deep. Where can you get this living water? And notice what she says: Are you greater than our father Jacob, and uh, who gave us this well to drink from, out of it himself, as did his sons and the flocks and his herds? And notice what: Remember Nicodemus when he met Jesus, he says, "We realize you came from God, with all the miracles you do." But notice what she tells him: Are you greater? Who you think you are? I'm qu-. She begins to question his ability and authority. Totally opposite. So she says, are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well to drink? So in that next little parenthesis, things you could write, that, that she questions his ability, his authority. And Jesus answers her. Everyone who drinks this water, talking about the water in the well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him, talking about salvation, he will never thirst again. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now, the woman says this. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water. And she's, not, she's still not understanding uh, this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Do you see she's still confused about it? She's still thinking regular water. And what Jesus does is he begins to address issues in her life that is keeping her from seeing the truth. Notice what it says. Jesus tells her this. He told her, go call your husband and come back. And she says, I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband." See, Jesus already knew her whole situation. Jesus already knows your, your, your past, He knows your presence, and He knows your future. He already knows. You're not hiding anything from Him. You may hide stuff from me, you may hide stuff from mom and dad, you may hide stuff from other people, but you will never hide anything from God. Jesus says, verse 18, the fact is, you have had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite quite true. He's saying your sin is blocking you from seeing the truth clearly. And he begins to deal with this in her life. And then she says this. Sir, the woman said, now she... Listen, it's only until he started exposing her sin and her to deal with it that she starts to see things. Notice what she says. The woman says, now I see that you are a prophet. Remember, before he dealt with that, she was saying, what, you think you're greater than Jacob? Who do you think you are? And she says, now I, see, I can see that you are a prophet. Uh, let me find where I'm at. Uh, I guess, verse 20. N- then she switches it to this. She says, our fathers worshiped on this mountain. Okay, the Samaritans, they still believed in God. And she says, we worship over here because we're not allowed in Jerusalem. We worship here. And she's saying, she tells him this, we worship on this mountain, but the Jews claim the place of worship is in Jerusalem. And she's asking, where should we worship? Should we worship here or should we, we can't go to Jerusalem. They don't allow us. We're Samaritans. And he answers her this, and again, what he begins to explain to her is about salvation. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming, which was getting ready to, and he begins talking about uh, him going to the cross and his resurrection and salvation coming. A time is coming when you will worship the Father neither, and notice what he says, on this mountain that y'all worship now, or in Jerusalem. He says, things are about to change. Things are about to change, he says. He says, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. But this is what he says in verse 23, yet a time is coming and has now come When the true worshipers will worship. And what he means by the true worshipers, that the time is coming, that the true worshipers will worship. He's talking about that those who believe in me, that I have died for their sins and going to be resurrected. Those that put their trust in me. Those are the true worshipers because the Holy Spirit will live inside of them. And it no longer will be you got to go to this mountain to worship or you got to go to Jerusalem to worship. And that's the only place to encounter God. He's saying God will be with you. Christmas is coming, right? He is to be called Emmanuel. God is with you. That when you give your life, he's telling her that these things are, are changing. Everyone must be saved. He says, the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Those that are born again. Verse 24 says, God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know that a Messiah called Christ is coming. And she says, when he comes, he will explain everything to us. But notice verse 26, then Jesus said, I who speak to you am he. And at that moment, she believes. Just then, now notice this, just then his disciples returned. And look what, look what happened. It says they were surprised to find him talking with a woman. He's talking with a Samaritan woman. But no one asked him, what do, you, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Let me just share with you. They were very wise not to ask him. See because they were looking down their noses at her. Jesus, what in the world are you doing talking to a Samaritan woman? What are you doing?" And Jesus would, Jesus would have laid the wood in them and saying, "Who do you think you are?" See, there is no class with Jesus. There's no upper class, no lower class. It's all about salvation. It's all, the, all about being children of God. He says, it, it's I, I who speak am he. And verse 27 says, just then his disciples returned. What do you want? They didn't Acts Verse 29. Uh, verse 28. Then leaving her jar of w- her water. The very thing she went for, she was thirsty for water in the natural, but she got so filled with the Spirit and excited that she left what she originally was there for. So as she left her water jar. The woman went back to the town and said to the people, Look at this. Come see a man who told me everything I did. Could this be the Christ? And they came out of the town and made their way toward him. Later on in in that uh, chapter, it says that many came to believe on him from Samaria. So think of the contrast of what went on here. We have the upper echelon of a religious leader. High class in society. And Jesus says, you too need a savior. We got the lowest of lowest In their day and Jesus says I love you too. You need a savior. He brought them both to a moment in their life that they had to choose to realize that yes I do and I accept you and I believe or no I don't. See Nicodemus was still puzzled but as I believe Nicodemus came to believe that he was the Christ. Because if you read later on when Jesus, after he was uh, crucified and taken down off the cross, that uh, a man named Joseph and Nicodemus took the body and prepared it for burial. Now, Nicodemus, as a Jewish leader in that thing, wouldn't have normally done that to anybody. But he made a connection with Jesus that day. Jesus impacted his life. So right in the middle of both those stories... Right in the middle of both those events, we find this, the golden text of the Bible, John six three sixteen through 18. For God so loved, what? The world. All. The religious leaders, everyone to the lowest of the low. There is no different to God. Success with God is not where your social standing is but as if you've come to believe in him. He said, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send him into the world to do what? Condemn the world. But to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Brother Mark, if you want to get Michelle in already, I want you to understand the gravity of God's mercy and grace in our lives. My wife had shared this with me, and uh, I shared it on a Wednesday night. I don't think I shared it on a Sunday. But how much he loves us, as that song was saying, how much he loves us. Let me tell you, show you just a glimpse of God's mercy and grace, what it is, and how deep it is. I want you to think, if you have a child, how would you feel towards someone that killed their child? That purposely, Killed your child. You see, Jesus, God so loved the world that he gave his son. You know what held Jesus to the cross? It wasn't nails. It's my sin. It's your sin. Jesus died because of me. Jesus died because of you. But God is rich in mercy that he says, and he looks down, he says, I know my son died because of you. Because of your sins. He took your place. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But he says, I don't want to hold it against you. My mercy is coming against you. You deserve death. You deserve punishment for what my son went through. But he says, I don't want that. My mercy says, I forgive you of that. My mercy says, not only will I forgive it, I will expunge your record. I will take it away and wipe it clean. That's his mercy, what you deserve. But let me share his grace, which is another level. His grace says, you killed my son, but guess what? I love you so much, I'm inviting you to come in my home now. And he says, not only am I inviting you in in my home, everything my son has, I'm giving it to you. That's grace. His mercy keeps us and says, oh, I forgive you. But grace takes it to another level where he says, you're the reason my son died, but you know what? I love you so much, I'm going to give you what was his. Come into his room. It's yours. Look, as a human being, I can't do that. We can't do that. We can't see going that far. Because he's seen his son on the cross and he's seen us spitting at him. And don't say it's not us that spit at him. That's just an example of how humankind treats. When we willingly choose to sin in these days, that's spitting at him on the cross. But he says, I'm not going to hold it against you. I'm rich in mercy. He says, but not only that. I'm rich in grace. I want you to be a co-heir with my son. I want you to share in his resurrection everything he has is now yours. You're the reason he went through everything he did. I should hold it against you but I don't because I love you. And Jesus even said from the cross, Father forgive them for they know not what they do. And today we come to communion to prepare our hearts and give thanks for what he done. What you're receiving here today is mercy and grace. His body and blood, that, his blood that was shed, his body that was beat, so you can have your sins forgiven. He didn't deserve it. He didn't desire it. And too many times people just take what he'd done and say, oh, well, he was the son of God. It didn't really matter. But he was 100% flesh also. He felt everything just like you would have felt it. He wasn't exempt from the pain. He wasn't exempt from the suffering. And he knew ahead of time what he was going through, what he would be go through. And he still chose to do it. Why? Because he chose the Father's will. Jesus says, not my will, Father God. He's saying, Father, it's horrible what I'm going to be going through. He says, but not my will, your will. I'll do it for you, Father, because of your love and grace. So if you've never accepted the Lord as your personal Savior, I want to give you that opportunity here this morning. You don't have to be a member.